how does that which is a reality for Christ become a reality for the believer? Even in part, even maybe in a large part. Grace and greetings to all my dear listeners. You are listening to That They Might Know, a podcast dedicated to the undeniable truth that there is a God who created everything from nothing, and he reveals himself to those who trust in his holy word. In this episode, we will ponder the reality of ongoing sin in the life of a believer. It is true that nothing is more devastating or more difficult to deal with than doing something you don't want to do. The person who is brought into a loving relationship with the living God through the sufferings of his son does not want to battle with a temptation to sin and thereby displease the God who loved him so much. So put on your thinking cap and consider with me as I endeavor to unravel the mysteries of God's holy word as it is found in the letter to the Romans. Do you ever feel as though you are not the best version of yourself? Do you ever think that you let people down, people you love and for whom you want the very best? Do you ever have a guilty conscience about how you treat others sometimes? If you do, I have good news for you. And that good news is twofold. First, there is forgiveness, which if you are a Christian, you already believe it, not only believe it, but you've experienced it. Second, the forgiveness you experience should translate into a new life and a new way of living. If that becomes a reality, well, then overcoming sin becomes a greater reality. The opening statements of Romans chapter 1 sets forth or set forth the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection and what they mean for the believer. So let's read from Romans chapter 1. And actually, before we do, let me say this. Only when faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus applies to the believer's need to change and live a holy life does the reality of our salvation become life-transforming? Let me say that again. Only when faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus applies or is applied to the believer's need to change and live a holy life, does the reality of our salvation become life-transforming or soul-transforming. Let us view the teaching of the Apostle Paul whose transformation from a Pharisee seeking the death of Christians to the self-sacrificing apostle who laid down his life for Christ and the gospel. Romans chapter 1, uh, chapter 6, I'm sorry, and verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. Paul demolishes in this verse the idea that God intended to save people and then allow them to go on living their lives as though nothing changed internally. 
That is not what takes place. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? He makes this vast statement. This incredible statement. So that grace may increase. Are we going to show grace by sinning? May it never be. Very strong statement in the Greek. May it never be. Verse 2. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Now, if you're a Christian, if you've come to salvation, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you look back over years maybe, or not so many, not that long, but you look over your life, you examine your life, and you wonder how anyone could make this statement, even the apostle. How shall we who died to sin live in it? Really? I mean, even the Puritans, those those oak trees in the Christian history, one famous one says, you know, I, I've my greatest sin had enough, my greatest prayer had enough sin in it, you know, to condemn the whole world. I mean, he was obviously that aware of sin and sin in his own life. So what, what could we make of how shall we who died to sin live in it? In salvation, there is a reality of death to sin, which needs to become experienced by the believer. That's how we should look at this. Not to perfection, but let's let's just think for a second. Let's just hold off. In verse 3, it says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Now, baptism means to submerse, to be submerged or to be submerged into something. Salvation places the believer in Christ's death. It's, let's look at verse 4. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, dead, Through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, the first thing you have to realize is that baptism spoken of in this verse is not referring to water baptism, which is merely a symbolic representation of what took place at Jesus' death, what took place when we were placed into Jesus at his death. It becomes real in our own experience when we repent and believe. In the courtroom of God, that actual baptism in the heart of God, the mind of God, the only one who matters, the only one who has the power to do anything, really, took place when Jesus died on the cross. The purpose of death and resurrection is the impartation of Christ's holy life, which becomes newness of experience in the believer. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in history, 2,000 years before we were born, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, when was he raised from the dead? Well, 2,000 years ago. Through the glory of the Father, so we too, now 2,000 years later, might walk in newness of life, in heaven to perfection. But now, So in chapter 6 and verse 5, he goes on and says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness 
of his resurrection. There is a death that the believer experiences at the point of repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ. There's a death to his the old life, his old existence, the way he viewed things, his perspective, his motives, his attitude. Everything really is changed at that point. To receive Christ is to recognize our sinfulness and the need to be saved from its penalty and changed into something new. It's an experience that only belongs to a true believer. This is not something that's just conjured up in the in the mind. It's not something that's intellectual. It starts there. It's there. But it, it's meant to en- encompass the whole heart, which includes emotions and that place where we make decisions, our will. Total man has to be involved. When that experience, when that, that reality becomes an experience, well, there's a death in that experience. And he goes on in verse 6 and says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. When's he talking about again? That's important to understand this. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. He was crucified 2,000 years ago, about 33 AD, somewhere in there. Jesus was crucified. He was put to death. He, he suffered for the sins for whom he died. He suffered the penalty that would take men in eternity because they would never repent. That's the heart of men. We, you know, how could God do such a thing? Well, it's very clear because man is that unrepentant, that unbelieving, that desirous for God to die rather than himself. That's the state of man on this planet. And all the idolatrous religions prove that. They would rather make up a God, carve it out of wood, or or model it out of some iron, rather than to accept the fact that there is a true God to whom they are responsible. And so we make gods in our own image, rather than recognizing that we are made in the image of God. And for the reality of this denial and this rebellion and this disdain for God, There's a penalty, and that penalty fell on his son. And knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in his death, there is our death. We we didn't exist at that time, but when we caught up 2,000 years later and we're born and we begin to live our sinful life, this is already prepared for the believer. This, This death. In order that Our body of sin, that thing that's still present because we have not been perfected yet, might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. The the word knowing of which the apostle speaks is the reality of knowing that only God can impart what he can impart. In every human being, with exceptions of some mentally handicapped, God bestows self-knowledge. Man can then understand what he is. We, we're, we're human beings. We're different from the animal kingdom. The animal has no such capability. There, there's no self-awareness. A, a dog doesn't know he's a dog. A giraffe doesn't know it's a giraffe. It's an animal. It's an, it lives on instinct. Man lives by reason. The reality of salvation only belongs to those 
whom God saves and imparts the knowledge of their salvation, the knowledge of sin, the knowledge of the sufferings and love of God, the forgiveness and mercy of God, the grace of God, something that is not earned or deserved. The reason the believer receives the knowledge of his own crucifixion is so that he might no longer be a slave to sin. This is a big point. For he who has died, Paul said in verse 7, is freed from sin. So it's in the death. It's in not only the death, but it's in the recognition of the death, the understanding of this death. At this statement, the believer upon reflection of his life may not feel, you or I, if you're a believer and you're listening to me, upon reflection of your life may not feel or believe that you have been freed from sin. Doubts and fears may flood in and cause you even to flee this line of thinking. The line that you, you've, you're, you're still sinning. A false victory over sin may take place in some and overtake them with pride. You know, you, if, if you can't admit that you're a sinner, then you've got to bury it and you've got to deceive yourself into thinking you're actually having victories when you're actually guilty. This is a very sad, pathetic place for the Christian to find himself. What is the remedy then for doubts, fears, and deception? Verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. My dear listeners, The Apostle declares for all those who have, in reality, died with Christ, not just in their imagination, but in the power of the living God, that for all those who have, in reality, died with Christ, a faith is available to them so that they can overcome life's temptations, difficulties, and tests. Faith, a faith provided by God. It takes God-given faith. It takes an enormous faith, or the, the faith of a mustard seed in a really big God. Take special note of the apostles' use of the words, if you're looking in the scriptures, we believe. We believe. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. He then returns to the word knowing in verse 9. So where God's resurrection is the object of faith. He returns to knowing where Christ's resurrection is the object of faith. Look at verses 9 and and 10. Knowing, Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Concerning Christ, he has been raised. He's never to die again, the apostle says. Death is no longer master over him. He lives to God, period. Holy living, sacrifice, uh, sacrificing his life, substitutionary death is all the realities. It's all the reality to Christ. It's not theoretical. It's an experience that he's had. However, how does that which is a reality for Christ 
become a reality for the believer, even in part, even maybe in a large part. Verse 11, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Even so, consider, no small word, yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We must carefully understand this term, consider, as you might find it in New American Standard, King James. I don't think anybody reads that anymore. <clears throat> but consider that the apostle uses in verse 11, which he also uses 27 other times in the New Testament, a very valuable word and important word to the apostle, and it should be to us because it's God's word. Consider, by definition, can be translated consider or to reckon. It is the word logizomai in the Greek and the root of the English term logic or logical. Properly, it is to compute. It is to take into account as an accounting term. It's numerical. You know how precise numbers are. Two plus two equals four. Very simple. But no matter how complex math gets, it's always precise, really precise. In all the sciences, math is precise. The accountant places the numbers on a page, which when correct is as reliable as you're going to get. As one who reckons, this is the word consider, it's one who reckons comes to a bottom line, i.e. reason to a logical conclusion, a definite conclusion. Make a decision. It can be used as impute or lay to one's charge. As stated, the term denotes logic. Therefore, a person should meditate and reason his way to the logical conclusion. What is the conclusion? Well, it, it it's all revolves around the fact of Jesus Christ and his reality. So that his reality becomes our reality. That's an exercise of faith to be sure. But there is no greater overcoming in the Christian life than a, a getting to the place where we realize his reality is meant to be our reality. And it's only accomplished through faith. Now, look, there's no good works here. There's no doing the disciplines. There's no reading your Bible. There's no way and on an earthly, by an earthly means, a human means, that you can accomplish what we're talking about right here. What we're talking about right here is something that God did and that God wants to impart in us. And what's on the, the doorstep, what's on the reality for what's necessary on our part, make no mistake, it's a big word in Romans. This whole section from 1 all the way to 9 is about faith. And faith is exemplified in 9, 10, and 11. And then it works out in 12 to the end of the book, the letter. Faith, 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 faith. It's about faith. What we must conclude from Paul's reasoning is Almighty God has accomplished our victory in Christ. Accomplished it. Christ died in the place of our rightful death to accomplish our holy living through his resurrection. There's something very special about Jesus coming up from the grave, pictured in baptism. Because when he comes up from the, the grave... He's coming up from the grave. He had to go into it. It's death. 
It's death to the flesh. It's death to the old man. It's death to the old way of life. Now that's in picture here. So when we're looking at our sins, just straight on, just very clearly, we, we have identified a sin. That sin put Christ on the cross. He died for that sin. He suffered an eternity of suffering from, for a sin that we would never repent of in hell. He did it. He accomplished that. One day, the saints will all be, who, whoever already died, or already in the presence of Christ. But once they're all gone, the last one is translated up into heaven. The last one passes from this life into the next. Then there's a resurrection of the just and the unjust. And the just, when they're resurrected from the dead, they're made perfect. Actually, if we die now, it's the, the soul of righteous men made perfect. It's done. It's complete. How did that happen? God did it. He did it 2,000 years ago on the cross. It was accomplished then, and he makes it real, partly in our lives now, probably much more full if there is the proper exercise of faith and not, we're not being deceived into thinking that it's really on us to do good rather than the exercise of faith. You see, we need to reckon, consider. We need to do this accounting term. We need to reckon these things as so. Each time we are tempted to sin, doubt, or fear. Each time. It's not a one time. This isn't a second blessing that people talk about and you receive the Holy Spirit and like sin is now wiped out because you now have this ongoing gift of the Holy Spirit and you're more perfect. You know, you go down that line and you're, you're going to either be so filled with pride through self-deception because of how good you are or you're going to be devastated to the point you realize it's not true because you see it has to be true from moment to moment day to day, hour to hour, week to week, and year to year, as long as you're a Christian. That's the way it works. That's why the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit, and it's in the present continuous tense. Be being filled. Be filled now. You're filled now, and in in an hour from now, and you're being tempted, what now? You need to be filled. You need to be filled with faith so that you can reckon the death and the resurrection of Christ real on your behalf, and you're freed from the bondage of sin. The reason we must always be on guard is that apart from Jesus, the deceiver lies at the door. He's crouching. He's waiting to spring upon you a devastating deception or fear or guilt of sin, doubt, that will cause you to stumble and and fall and backslide and, and by that separate you from the living God who alone can give you the power and the victory over sin make you an overcomer. Such deception can remove us from his divine protection. And without his divine protection, yeah, you you work as hard as you can. And and then tell me how good you do, because, you know, if you really realize that if you're really on your own, you're not going to be doing good at all. I can guarantee that. The Bible does. That's why I can. The Bible makes it very clear we need to be in Christ, just the way the Apostle Paul makes it clear in the sixth chapter of his letter to the Romans. I hope that you hear this, having heard this lesson, will take it to heart. I hope that you will walk in the grace of God and in the faith that alone can give you an overcoming life. And so, um, grace and peace to you upon the hearing of this lesson. And 
Stay in the grip of God's love. Amen and amen.